Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Forever broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Perry. Join us weekly as we explore the golden era of American radio through the dramas, westerns, mysteries, and comedies that shaped the golden age. Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on all of the podcast directories that you may use. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Old Time Radio Forever. Thought I would add uh, something that I find very interesting. And so if this is not your cup of tea, you can go ahead after the introduction and skip ahead to our shows. But I thought to put us in the mood of an old time radio listener back in the, in the golden era, specifically 1942 is the year we're going to today. So I thought it would be cool to have news broadcasts of the year that our shows are coming from. Both shows tonight come from 1942. And we're going to have a news broadcast from NBC News Roundup from John McVeigh. This is about a month after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and a month of America being in the Second World War. You're going to hear news from the BBC and America. Really cool way to, uh, it's kind of like a time capsule, to put yourself truly like you're sitting next to your cathedral radio, listening to the latest war news come on before your radio program. So we will move to January the 4th, today's exact day, 1942, with John McVeigh and the NBC News Roundup. And after the news, we go to 1942 and that lovable comedic duo, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, on Old Time Radio forever. Good morning, everyone. It's Sunday, January 4th, and here's the latest news. NBC reporters in London and Washington are standing by, and later we hope to contact our staff correspondent in the Dutch East Indies. First, however, we turn to Britain. Go ahead, London. This is London, John McVeigh speaking. London today heard from Singapore that the British forces in northern Perak have fallen back again. The Japanese kept up their pressure during the night and followed the British closely. The British say they inflicted heavy casualties on the enemy. The Japanese yesterday made a landing at Weston in British North Borneo. Japanese ships off the west coast of Malaya were bombed last night, and 24 enemy planes raided Singapore. American and British planes based in Burma attacked a Japanese aerodrome in Siam. They shot down two fighters in the air and destroyed four planes on the ground. British bombers in Britain last night made another attack on the docks at Brest, where the Scharnhorst, Gneisenau, and Prince Eugen are still held. Mr. Eden is expected to follow his radio talk today with an account of Parliament of what he saw and did in Russia. It isn't known how detailed an explanation he can give because the Germans are probably even more eager than the British public to hear what Stalin and the British government decided. But members of Parliament will want to hear as much as possible about Russia's part in the Allied plans. The contacts between British and Russian fighting men and the visit of Russian trade union leaders to Britain are like Mr. Eden's trip, evidence that relations between the two countries have changed a lot since last June. Whenever officers and men of the British and Russian navies and air forces have got together, They've worked on the basis of easy understanding. And it seems likely that when the Russian trade unionists finish their tour of British factories, they'll have some new ideas about what the people of this island are really like. 
The Colonel Blimps of the Munich era, with their ideas that hardly extended beyond their own club doors, had been submerged, or at least eclipsed, by the realization that Britain must depend on allies for their very existence. Russia and America, too, have their Colonel Blimps, although they don't call them that. And things like the 26-power declaration and the announcement of unified command in the Pacific are significant proof that their views don't matter so much anymore. But General Brownrigg, writing in the Sunday Dispatch, today points out that some of the old-fashioned Colonel Blimps still exist in Britain. He says he was surprised to meet some members of a London service club who criticized the British commando raid on Rommel's headquarters in Libya. The general said there was a shade of doubt as to whether this type of thing was quite according to the accepted rules of war. General Brownrigg says what has been done at Rommel's headquarters can be repeated elsewhere. The man at the helm of Germany may even feel that his own headquarters are not so safe as before. He may begin to wish that he hadn't started the game of playing rough. The British have been taught time after time the lesson that in any area of war, the side that has control of the air will win the battle. From France, through the Battle of Britain, and right down to Libya, the point has been proved and proved again. The fighting in Greece and Crete proved that when air control is opposed to sea control, air control will win. Some experts, like General de Gaulle, believe that the real success of an invasion across water lies in the air and not the sea. That's why recent invasion exercises to test the defenses of British aerodromes are worrying the press and public here. The exercises are said to have proved what a lot of people suspected, that aerodromes in Britain aren't heavily enough defended to hold out against an intensive attack. The protection of aerodromes has been a joint affair conducted by both the Army and the Air Force. For a long time, observers have demanded that one force or the other should take over the job of protecting the fields and do the job right. The fact that in the Far East, the loss of key aerodromes has opened the door to enemy military victories is giving a new note of insistence, the demands for unified airfield defense. In Britain itself, there are so many airfields and air force units are so scattered that the Germans did get a few of them in an invasion attempt, the loss might not be vital. But the British have seen how a toehold can develop into a foothold, and the prospect isn't a pleasing one. Some people here are beginning to feel that as the marshalling of the Allied forces increases the probability of Axis defeat, so does it increase the possibility that Hitler may make a neck-or-nothing attempt to conquer the British Isles. Major Oliver Stewart, the Sunday Observer's air expert, warns that most people in Britain don't bother to carry their gas masks around these days. And he says rumors have come in the assembly of large quantities of gas bombs of the Germans. It would be appalling if at this stage of the war we were again to be surprised by the ruthlessness and treachery of the enemy. This is John McVeigh in London, returning to the National Broadcasting Company in New York. And from our New York newsroom, here's a bulletin with the date marked Cairo, Egypt. British headquarters today raised its estimate of the number of Axis prisoners taken in the fall of Bardia to 7,000, of whom 1,000 were said to be German. Clearing of the battlefield is continuing, a communique said, indicating that the final total might be still higher. Earlier estimates had placed the number of prisoners taken in the Bardia zone at about 5,000. Advanced British units operating in the Agadabia zone, more than 300 miles to the west, were reported harassing German and Italian forces trying to make a stand there. And now for news from the other side of the world, we take you now to San Francisco. From the San Francisco newsroom, we take you now to Batavia. Hello, NBC. This is Sidney Albright speaking in Batavia, Java. Time is 9.36 Sunday evening. 
Today's most important piece of news in the Netherlands East Indies is the appointment of General Wei Hao as Commander-in-Chief of all Allied forces in the Far Eastern area. General Waybell is known here and is highly respected as a military leader, entirely capable of assuming command of the Allied operations. Like General Waybell, Admiral Thomas C. Hart, Commander-in-Chief of the United States Asiatic Fleet, is also well-known to the people of this country. Only a short time before the Japanese launched their attack on the Philippines, the Royal Netherlands Navy, CNC, visited Admiral Hart in Manila. The head of the Indies Army, General H. Terporton, was conferring in Manila with General MacArthur and Admiral Hart when his predecessor, General Beresford, was killed in a plane crash in Batavia. At that time, Terporton was chief of staff. It will be recalled that the Dutch are, to a great extent, responsible for the continued efforts towards the formation of a solid ABCD block, which they had advocated long before the trend of events in the Pacific reached the showdown stage. Consequently, it is easy to understand the enthusiasm in local quarters for what is actually the fulfillment of their own hopes. It is pointed out that in this case, the democracies did not wait too long to act, which is a favorable indication that future emergencies will be handled with the same promptness. A matter of utmost importance in this war where so much hinges on the single word term. Further details of the new Allied command apparently are unknown here, or else are being kept a closely guarded secret. In any event, there is a great deal of speculation as to the location of the headquarters. Some say it is likely that General Wavell would select Malaya, whereas others are of the opinion that Java is the logical place because it occupies the key position in this section of the theater of war. Nevertheless, there is wholehearted approval here for the plan. In fact, for any plan which brings the Allied nations closer together. Local observers are wondering where the Dutch commanders-in-chief will fit into the picture. Although General Terporten has only been in command a short time, he has already demonstrated his ability as a master strategist, in addition to the fact that he was chief of staff under General Scott. From the very beginning of the Indies defense preparation, very little need be said about the ability of Admiral Alfred, a naval commander-in-chief who was directly responsible for the Dutch assistance in the operations with the British in Borneo and off Malaya, as well as with the American forces at Davao. To say nothing of the independent thrust made at Japanese supply lines by the Dutch Navy, which, so far, are the only important successes in all the Allied operations against the Nipponese a fact that is acknowledged by the press throughout the world. The latest communique of the Netherlands Indies fighting forces reads, there was little enemy air activity over the territory. Only at a few points, Japanese aircraft were observed. No bombs were dropped anywhere. In the northwestern part of the archipelago, a Greek steamer has been bombed by Japanese aircraft. Particulars about damage done to the ship have not yet been received. End of the communique. Another expression of loyalty reached the government today from the Achi warriors in North Sumatra. They have offered to organize guerrilla bands to harass enemy landing parties and parachutists. Any attempted landings in Achtenese areas would find hard going against these unsubdued jungle fighters. I now return you to the National Broadcasting Company. We now return you to New York. Again in our newsroom in New York, we bring you a late bulletin. From Moscow, the Soviet Information Bureau declared today that the Russian advance is continuing on all fronts, 
and that a number of additional populated areas have been reoccupied and much German equipment has been captured. And now for news from our own nation's capital, we switch to Morgan Beatty in the newsroom in Washington. Tomorrow, Congress begins the battle of production, the undramatic but critical battle of this war. Congressmen gather for the second session of the 77th Congress, well aware of the importance of this phase of the war effort. Most of them remember the confusion of our production effort in the First World War. They recall the inflation and panic spirals that followed. The first bill of importance on the Senate calendar takes into account the difference between 1942 and 1917. It's a bill for drastic control of prices almost immediately. Late in the last session, the House passed a price control bill, a measure generally recognized as a mild one. The administration had asked the House to permit a price administrator to license business and in this way control civilian production and prices. But there was no war in the Pacific then, so the House rejected the administration's idea and instead provided a board of review to keep a tight rein on the price administrator. Now, with war raging on all continents and the United States in the struggle up to the hilt, the Senate will consider a far more drastic measure. It provides for a price administrator who will in fact become a sort of economic czar for the duration of the war. He could license business. He could set ceilings on prices of almost anything. This price administrator would be the Second World War's counterpart of Barney Baruch, the industrial czar of the First World War. Debate begins on the measure Wednesday. Senate Banking Committee has already approved it. If the bill goes through, and it would appear that it will prevail over the milder House measure, Leon Henderson would probably become the nation's price czar, despite charges that he has surrounded himself with radical people. Henderson's many appearances before congressional committees in the last few months have impressed conservative members. Some who would have opposed him last fall are among his staunchest supporters today. They believe he has a firm understanding of the first problem to be met in the battle of production, and that first problem is inflation. Henderson has already taken preliminary steps to control the situation. The bans on automobile and tire buying are a part of his general plan, also the restriction on wool for civilian use. He has limited new wool consumption by civilians to 40% of last year's sales. This order is intended to give the woolen industry the go-ahead signal to manufacture 20 million uniforms and at the same time to prevent the escape of wool required for those uniforms into civilian channels. But this is all preliminary. It's only a part of the picture. The Department of Justice is analyzing war contracts. The purpose seems to be to prevent a flock of war millionaires from springing up before production controls are completed. Congress is expected to receive a $50 billion budget from the White House on Tuesday. The next point to decide will be how much of this we should pay now and how much war we should fight on credit. The president will probably call for more taxes, perhaps for payment of about one-fourth of the cost of the war as we go. The purpose behind this higher tax percentage would also be anti-inflationary. The more money Congress takes away from us in the form of taxes, the less we'll have to spend on our own needs. And the less we spend, the less likely we are to bring on the confusion of inflation. The Battle of the Philippines continues unabated. There are no new announcements from the War Department this morning. But even the Japanese foresee a long struggle before they subjugate the island of Busan, the stronghold of the Philippines. Tokyo newspapers are warning the Japanese public today that guerrilla warfare probably will continue for some time. That's one way to explain the Japanese need for large troop concentrations in the Philippines after the Japanese claim of victory. For those troops will be needed, 
Not only is there a possibility that General MacArthur can hold out for a long time, but also the Filipinos themselves are not easy to whip. That's all for now. And that's the news up to this moment. These have been reports by John McVeigh in London, Morgan Beatty in Washington, and Sidney Albright in Batavia, Java. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Present the Abbott and Costello program. With the music of Lee Stevens and his orchestra, the songs of Connie Haynes and the Camel Quintet, tonight's guest, Miss Marlena Dietrich, and starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Hey, Abbott! Oh, Costello. Oh, what? Will you stop that noise? What are you doing here in the studio dressed in your bathing suit? Well, I spent all day trying to get my car out of the swimming pool. What was it doing there? Don't you read the papers, Abbott? The government says you have to pool your car. Uh. <laughs> no, you dummy. They mean share the ride. You have to pick up people. Oh, I did that yesterday. I picked up Helen, Mary, Rosie, and Josie. But your car holds more than that. Yeah, but now they only allow you four gallons a week. <laughs> you can't get it. Well, never mind that, Costeller. Where have you been all week? What have you been doing? Oh, boy, have I been having fun with Connie Haynes? No kidding. Last Saturday, I took her to a football game. What a game! What excitement! Any passes? No. Her mother was with us. <laughs> and another thing, Abbott, there was a man sitting next to us with a six-month-old baby. All afternoon, the kid was crying. He was so hungry. Well, didn't the father bring a bottle? Yeah, but the kid wanted milk. <laughs> Finally, to shut the kid up, I give him a penny. Well, did that keep him quiet? Yeah, but he kept waving the penny in front of my binoculars. It ruined the game. How did it ruin the game? All afternoon, Lincoln was playing in the backfield. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, forget the football game. Much better this afternoon, huh? Yes, 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 a lot better. We've got, we've got other things to worry about. You know, our announcer, Ken Niles, is complaining because he didn't have enough to do last week. Isn't that right, Ken? Yes, it is. <laughs> After all, I could give the program a lift. <laughs> I'm a shot in the arm. You said it. You're a dope. <laughs> now, don't be silly, Costello. Niles is very popular. Why, sure. Right after the broadcast last week, a lot of women chased me up Hollywood Boulevard, and one of them caught me and threw her arms around my neck. I saw that. You did? Yeah. Why did you snatch her pocketbook? <laughs> now, cut it out, Costello. Now, I talked to Ken's wife, and she says uh, he should have more lines. She says he's got talent. She says he's terrific. She says he's colossal. She says this. She says that. I don't care what his wife says. Well, I do. My wife is a wonderful person. She's as necessary to me as, a, as an umbrella in a rainstorm. I'll take the umbrella. It's easier to shut up. No. <laughs> now, why don't you be reasonable, Costello? Mrs. Niles is a very sweet girl. Yes, she is. You know, she's a great deal like Sonia Henny. You mean you have to keep her on ice? <laughs> Please. Are it's... you folks hearing us? Now, wait a minute. Just a minute. Now, that isn't fair, Costello. Now, let's get together here. Give Ken a chance to show what he can do. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks, bud. I, I, I'd like to read a little a tidbit that I just happened to bring along. Oh, this is going to murder you. Uh, one night as I sat rocking, rocking on my chamber floor, came a knocking, gentle knocking, knocking on my chamber door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Yeah, how'd you like that? 
Don't look now, but the raven just laid a knee. Hello, everybody, and uh, hello, my fat little sugar man. Oh, this voice of this kid is temporaneous. Quiet, quiet. Hello, Tommy. Mr. Costello, honey, I'd like you and Mr. Abbott to meet someone. This is my Aunt Ruby. Uh, hello. Nice to meet you. Hi, Aunt Ruby. How do you like California? Connie doesn't have enough to do. Wait a minute. After all, I... I listened to the program last week, and there should be more music. Connie ought to sing 45 songs. There's nothing but talk on the program. And who wants to hear a lot of talk, 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 talk? Talk, 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 talk. Hold your hat. Here comes another race. After all, Mr. Costello, I taught Connie to sing. Why, even I sang in New York, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Chicago. What about St. Louis? They beat the Yanks. Ha-ha, ha-ha. I really... Yeah. I really struck you out that time. You struck me out, huh? Mm -hmm. And you're just the old bat that can do it. Now, yeah. Wait a minute. Now, just a second, Costello. You can't talk like that to Connie's Aunt Ruby. Maybe she's right. Maybe this program needs more singing. Exactly. Everyone loves singing. Something like this. Oh, through the night, there's a little brown with singing. Well, of course. You know I just had my tonsils taken out. Have them put back in. <laughs> Costello, what right have you got to criticize? What do you know about singing? Now, look, Abbott. If I hadn't come from such a large family, I'd have been a great singer. What did the large family have to do with it? I could never get in the bathroom. Oh, no. Come on, Costello. Make up your mind. Are you going to give Niles and Connie more to do or not? Why should I? If I give them more to do, the first thing you know, even the sound man will want more to do. And why shouldn't I? What did I have on last week's program? Nothing. Not even a door slam. I understand doors. I know doors inside and out. I talk to doors and they talk to me. Well, what do you hear from the mouth? Ah, <laughs> oh, well may you laugh. Little do you know how important every little sound is to me. Even the sound of a moth chewing on an overcoat. Like this. What's that funny sound? That's the moth spitting out the buttons. I... <laughs> Don't you think sounds are fascinating? Here is a sample of my day. When work is through, I walk home at night in the rain. I open the door. I go in and shut the door. Then I walk upstairs in the rain. It's raining in the house? Yes, we're waiting for a government ceiling. <laughs> have a better writer than us, huh? Yeah. I imagine so. I jump into bed and sleep. It's morning. What a night! <laughs> I've got to catch the train. I kiss my wife before I go to the office. My wife kisses me. I kiss her and she kisses me. Uh, wait I... a minute. What about the office? With a wife like that, why should he go to the office? <laughs> Costello. Yes, sir. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, how's your spelling this week? I can spell anything. Okay. Spell crumpet. Crumpets. Yeah, crumpet. Crumpets. Yeah. K. No. no crumpets. C R U M P E S. Oh, wait a minute. You left out the T. Today, I gotta have crumpets without T. Well, why? I lost my sugar ration card. Oh, now, wait a minute. Look, Ration Luke. card. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Ration. ration or ration. Look, around here, you can't forget any teas. Why not? Well, because with us, it's important. In fact, with any cigarette smoker, T ought to be one of the most important letters in the alphabet. Is that right? Why, sure. T stands for taste and throat. 
That's anybody's own personal proving ground for cigarettes, the T-Zone. Now, of course, most people have tried camels. But have you tried them lately since you've been smoking more? Give camels the T-Zone test now. Ask your taste about camel's flavor. You'll find it wears well, doesn't go flat. Ask your throat about camel's mildness. It's the best judge you can find. Thousands of smokers who are making their own T-Zone test advise camels suit them through a T. Just remember that you're the one who's doing your smoking. For steady pleasure, try camels. You'll find they're slow-burning, cooler-smoking, richer-tasting, milder, better. Because camels are expertly and matchlessly blended of costlier tobaccos. So take a tip from your T-Zone. Your throat and your taste will tell you. C-A-N-T-L-S. Camels. Get a pack tonight. You'll want to buy a carton tomorrow. about his rationing card. Worrying about his rationing card. Yeah, he started yelling, 
They took the sugar. They took the sugar. No, 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 Costello. The man, the man was yelling because he was stuck up. Stuck up? Sure. A fine time to get a swelled head. No. <laughs> Somebody might have robbed the place. He did rob the place. Look, was there anybody with him? Just a woman. A woman. Why didn't you mention her before? She didn't appeal to me. Oh. <laughs> did you pinch her? No. Then you should have held her. If I'd have held her, I'd have pinched her. You idiot. <laughs> Hello, Do you realize that by keeping the money and letting the crooks get away, you've made yourself an accomplice? Ken Niles, turn on the radio. Maybe we'll get a police report. Hurry up. Okay, bud. Okay. Hey, you hear that? What's that? There's a message. Well, what does it say? Attention all citizens. The Fifth National Bank has just been held up by Black Pete and his gang of desperate bandits. When last seen, the gang was headed for their hideout at Death Hand Gulch. Also at large is their accomplice, described as five feet tall. Five feet wide, that is all. That's me, Mr. Five by Five. <laughs> Costello, you know the police are after you. Now, you've got to capture that gang to clear yourself. Uh, now, you can't do it alone, so call a posse. That's the thing. Okay. Here, pushy, pushy, That's... pushy. No, 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 Here, no. Here, pushy. No, no, please. Deadpan Gulch is the, in the heart of the cattle country. It's the home of the Western Bandits and cattle rustlers. Then I'm just a guy, Abbott. I became a three-letter man chasing cattle rustlers. Oh, how could you become a three-letter man chasing cattle rustlers? I sat on a branding iron. <laughs> but did that cause you to catch the rustlers? Catch them? I passed them. <laughs> but this is going to be a long trip. Now, you have to get an outfit. What are you going to wear? I'll wear a ten-gallon hat, a tan shirt, a leather belt, and a bloodhound. What pants? The bloodhound. No, I... Never mind the outfit. And another thing you need is a horse. Have you got a horse? Have I got a horse? Yes. I got a horse, and he's my pal. Well, that's swell. I eat with my horse. That's wonderful. I drink with my horse. I even sleep with my horse. You sleep with your horse? I got it. It's his blanket. <laughs> now, tell me, can you ride a horse? Sure, I can ride a horse. One time, Abbott, I rode two horses at once, standing up. Mm. I had my right foot on one horse, my left foot on the other horse. All of a sudden, we came to a fork in the road. Each horse went in a different direction. That was a laugh. Yeah, I thought I'd split. I... <laughs> well, never mind. The first thing the first thing you have to do is find the bandit's trail. When you do, you leap into the saddle and away you go. Your face is stern, your grip is sure, your clutch is firm. How's my transmission? All right. I'll ask you. Please be quiet. Then you ride. You ride out across the prairie. You ride for hours and hours on end. That sounds logical. Don't interrupt, please. <laughs> you ride and you ride until your trousers are worn thin. Finally, there you are. I knew I'd come through. Yeah. <laughs> well, Costello, what are you going to do? Are you going out after the bandits? Are you going to clear your name? I'm going to clear my name, Abbott. a boy. I'll do it. I knew it was in you. I'm going to get it out of me right now. Come on. I'll get them bandits. But just tell me one thing. If I get killed, what's going to happen to that little fellow that depends on me? The poor little fellow won't get anything to eat anymore. That poor little fellow won't even have a roof over his head. If anything happens, Abbott, it'll kill him. The poor little fellow. Costello. Who is the poor little fellow? Me? <laughs> and here's Connie Haynes with a camel quintet to sing a new tune of the Old West, Cow Cow Boogie. Out on the plains, down near Santa Fe, I met a cowboy riding the rain. One day, and as it jogged along, I heard him singing a most peculiar cowboy song. It was 
was a ditty He learned in the city Come a ya ya Come a yippee Get along Get hip Better go kids Get along Better be on your way Get along Costello, as we find them hot on the trail of the bank bandit, Black Pete. Leading a posse of men, they track the villain to the lawless town of Deadpan Gulch. Here they are, riding up the main street of the town. I just first said jingle, jangle, jingle, 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 hey, jingle. What's wrong? What's wrong? One of my spurs got stuck. <laughs> Costello, what do you think you're doing? Why are you riding underneath your horse? Well, my horse isn't feeling well, Abbott, and the doctor told me to watch his stomach. <laughs> well, here we are, men. We'll probably find Black Pete in the Red Dog Cafe across the street. Stop your horse. Okay. Whoa! Whoa, Whoa, Whoa boy! Whoa! Atta boy. Take it easy, Nellie. Uh, sit down now. Whoa, Nellie. All right, men. Everybody into the bar for a drink. No, no! Just a man! You horses stay outside! <laughs> All right, let's go in. And listen, Costello, when we go through this door, have your gun ready. If anybody moves, shoot. If anybody shoots, I'll move. Hey, Abbott, listen to that. What a pair of pipes. Wish I was a plumber. Costello, don't you recognize her? She's the toast of deadpan gouts. Really? Oh, Marlena Dietrich. Oh. Oh, oh. Oh, look at that lovely face. That face has made a fortune. Yeah, it runs into a nice figure. <laughs> Hello, boys. Hello, boys. How big are men where you come from? 
Welcome to the Red Dog Cafe. Did you like my song? What do you think of my range? Your range is lovely. In fact, I like your whole kitchen. Oh, you flatter me. You're probably tired after your long trip. How about a drink? Okay. I'll have a Crosby cocktail. What's that? One drink and then bing. <laughs> With your personality, I would suggest straight corn. <laughs> what a fresh kid. Just a minute, Marlena. You see, neither one of us is a drinking man. Do you have anything a, a little milder? Try a drink of this very mild wine. Now, that sounds better. I'll try it. <laughs> Just a minute. What's, what's the matter? I don't understand. That wine is made here by the Hoppy Indians. <laughs> hoppy Indians? One of the Indians are still hopping in it. <laughs> Costello, that's silly. Come on. Let's go over and watch the boys play roulette. Yes. Or perhaps you both would rather play a game with me. Poker, Farrell, Blackjack. I'd rather play post office. But that's a kid's game. Not the way I play it. <laughs> you know, little fat man, I could go for someone like you. You could? Yes. Do you know someone? Sure. I <laughs> What a fresh kid, Abbott! Now, look, keep quiet, Costello. Don't talk like that to Marlena. She may know where Black Pete is. Try to win her confidence. Turn on the charm, you know. I'll turn on the charm. Okay, watch me. Marlena, my love, I adore you. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Marlena, will you let me be your slave? Will you let me do something for you that I have never done for any other woman? What's that? Will you let me press your slacks? Costello, will you stop that? You just don't know how to handle these Western girls. Oh, yes, I do, Abbott. Marlena, one time I was in love with a bull-legged cowgirl. She was too bull-legged to round up the kettle. What do you mean? Well, she had a terrible time getting her calves together. <laughs> what are you talking about, Costello? You've never even been in love with a girl. Yes, I was. I can see her now. She always wore cotton stockings. Cotton stockings? What happened to her? Nothing. <laughs> but of all the girls I got tattooed on my chest... On your chest? Marlena, I love you the best. The best? Better than the rest. The rest? In the West. The West? On my chest. On your chest? There's an echo in the joint. <laughs> well, there's no question about it, Costello. Marlena Dietrich just can't be bothered with a man like you. Marlena, is that true? Oh, no. If you only had the eyes of Clark Gable. Yes. The nose of Tyron Power. Yes, yes. The chin of Gary Cooper. Yes. The face. The face of who? That's all, if you only had a face. <laughs> you know, the kids get messed. Now, look here, Costello. We're wasting time. Did you forget why we came to Deadpan Gulch? We've got to find Black Pete's hideout. Black Pete? He's the most dangerous character in these parts. Before he don't bother me. But he's very tough. He eats little men like you every morning when he gets up. That's me, the breakfast of champions. <laughs> but, Lou, why don't you give up this mad search? It can only lead to your death. I think you got something there, kid. Hey, Abbott, I am scared. Ain't you scared? No, I'm not scared. Then why are you buying my nails? <laughs> but no matter what happens, I'm going after Black Pete, Marlena. And if I die, 
I want you to take this shirt of mine as a keepsake. But suppose you don't die. Then wash it and have it back by Monday. Oh. <laughs> and no starch in the collar, either. Listen, Costello, cut out the foolishness. Now we line up everybody in the room until we find our man. That's right, Abbott. Everybody line up and empty out your pockets. Why are you making them empty their pockets? I lost my yo-yo. <laughs> now, wait a minute, boys. It's not necessary to look any further. I am Black Pete. You are? What a fresh kid! What a stale plot. I think you got something there. Marlena, I still don't believe all this is true. It is true. I took the money from the bank, but I did not steal it. It was my own money. It was my pin money. A hundred thousand dollars pin money? I have very expensive pins. <laughs> if you don't believe me, I'll show you. Mm. I have all the money right here in my stocking. Look. Abbott! What a cute bank! What a place to make a deposit! <laughs> oh, Marlena, if I give you all my money from the bank, will you put it in your other stocking? Certainly. Costello, don't be an idiot. Your money is safer in the bank. Why do you want to put it in her stocking? Because that's where it's going to draw the most interest. <laughs> Before we hear from Abbott and Costello again, do you want to find out how hitting ground feels to a paratrooper? Well, just hop off the top of a truck going 15 miles an hour. But don't try that until you're as husky as an all-American halfback and as nimble as a circus tumbler. Even then, you'd have to learn plenty to qualify for the shoot troops, fighters as tough as any in the world. And whether your job is to dangle in midair from silk cords or whether you're making the shoots, you want to get the most out of your off-duty moments. Take Helen Lynch, for instance. She works at the Pioneer Parachute Company, making some of the chutes used by our paratroopers. Like so many of us, Miss Lynch is smoking more these days, and she sticks to camels. She said, quote, Package after package, camels never tire my taste or wear out their welcome. They have such a rich, full flavor, and they're so easy on my throat. Unquote. Camel is first in the service. Actual sales records in post exchanges and canteens show that with men in the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard, Camel is the favorite. Why is that? Well, just ask your own throat and taste. Camels have a full, rich flavor, the kind that wears well, doesn't go flat. Camels are milder, too, and cooler smoking because they're slow burning. The big reason behind this camel goodness is costlier tobaccos. Blended in the years-old camel tradition of quality tobacco blending. If you're smoking more these days, try camels. Your throat and your taste will tell you. Camels. Get a pack tonight. Send the carton to that fellow in the service. about next week's program. You'll hear more music from Lee Stevens and the orchestra, more songs by Connie Haynes and the Camel Quintet, and a gripping, dramatic story of life in the squared circle with our guest star, John Garfield. Now, here is a short preview of next week's program. Thousands of people are assembled in Madison Square Garden. All eyes are focused on the two fighters in the center of the ring, Killer Garfield and Cupid Costello. 
There is a terrific exchange of blows. The crowd is on his feet. Costello is on his face. Get up off your knees and quit playing with those marbles. What marbles? I'm picking up my feet! Be sure to tune in next Thursday night at the same time for another big comedy show starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello with John Garfield as our guest. Brought to you with the compliments of Camel Cigarettes. Camel presents three great radio shows each week. Abbott and Costello on Thursday nights. On Friday night, it's the Camel Caravan with Lanny Ross, Herb Schreiner, Xavier Cougat, and Our Town. And Monday night, Blondie. Marlena Dietrich, who appeared with us tonight, has just completed a new universal picture, Pittsburgh, with John Wayne and Randolph Scott. And here's the latest news about the Camel Caravans, those swell traveling shows that entertain our boys in the Army camp. Fifteen Army and Navy training stations will be visited this week, including Camp Gordon, Georgia, Camp Pendleton, California, and Camp Cross, South Carolina. This is Ken Niles speaking for the makers of Camel Cigarettes and wishing you all a very pleasant good night. See a pipe wearing a muzzle? No, sir, and you never will, because that won't keep it from biting. thing to do is get Prince Albert, the brand that's no bite treated for real smoke in comfort. Another thing, PA's crimp cut, and that means it packs firm and easy and gives you cool one-match burning. You'll find around 50 mild, rich-tasting pipe folds in every handy pocket package of Prince Albert. Try PA for pipe appeal. You'll agree it's the national joy smoke. This program has come to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. From 1942, that was Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. After a short break, we will be back on Old Time Radio forever with another comedic duo and by far the most played old-time radio program on my show. When it's your show, you get to decide. And my favorite from the golden era is that lovable husband and wife duo, Jim and Mary and Jordan, as Fibber McGee and Molly. We'll be right back on Old Time Radio forever. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by Martha Tilton and the King's Men, and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with Great Day. a neighborhood school just as the recess bell rang, and I stopped and watched as the youngsters came tumbling and racing out of the building like a herd of wild animals. Do you know what I thought about first? The abused floors in that school, and what a job it must be to protect them against that daily onslaught and keep them nice looking. 
You'll be interested to know that the makers of Johnson products have developed special wax polishes for floors in schools, office buildings, and hospitals. Floors that take a much heavier traffic beating than your floors at home. The next time you walk down a school or hospital or office building corridor, see if the floors look well cared for. If they do, chances are they're protected with Johnson's wax polishes. And just as your Johnson's wax and glow coat save you both work and money, these special polishes developed for heavy traffic use also affect very large savings to the owners and managers of these properties. When you're buying polishes for your home, it will pay you always to insist upon the genuine Johnson's Wax Polishes. stood in your front door for half an hour saying goodbye to a visitor who wouldn't go home? Exasperating, isn't it? Well, here at 79 Wistful Vista, with his large feet blotting out the welcome on the mat, we find his honor, Mayor Latrivia, who seems to regret leaving Fibber McGee and Molly. Good night, Mayor Latrivia. Uh, good night, Mayor. So nice of you to drop in. Uh, not at all, Mrs. McGee. I'm only sorry your husband won't take the job. You're sure you won't reconsider, McGee? No, I'm sorry, Latrivia. I may be the right man for the office and all that, and I'd like to serve the city, but my time is so valuable. Being all took up with Chamber of Commerce work. Yeah, and besides, what does he know about catching dogs? <laughs> well, all right, if that's final, McGee. Good night to you both, and... Oh, my goodness, my briefcase. I left it on the uh, on the coffee table, I believe. Oh, well, wait here, Trivial. I'll get it. Right around the table. Here should be right here. Here's your briefcase, Trivial. I'll come and see us again sometime. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Good night, Mrs. McGee. I've enjoyed this visit very much. Good night, Your Honor. I hope... Come in. Hello there, kids. I just... Oh, hello, Mr. Mayor. Good evening. Glad to see you, but I must be going. Hey, wait a minute. But I got the sale interest you, too, Mayor. Well, I suppose I can wait one more minute and hear what this gentleman has to say. What gentleman? Who, me? Oh! <laughs> well, well. Here's the proposition, kids. And, Mr. Mayor, I'm selling chances on a turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, no, no, no. I don't like those things. In the first place, I never gamble. And besides, every time I do it, I lose. <laughs> Besides, you got to wait too long to see if you win. Or not no. on this one, Johnny. Mm. Draw a number, and if it's the lucky one, I'll tell you right away. How's about it? Only two bits. Uh, here, I'll take one. Well, all right, so will I. Now, now you've talked me into it. Give me one, too, old-timer. Okay. One for you, daughter, Mr. Mayor. All right, Johnny, open them up. Okay. Call your numbers, kid. Uh, 27. 85. 207-540-78. Hey, give me that. That's my social security card. <laughs> Here's your number, Johnny. 17. Well, did any of us win? Nope. The winner number was 33. But the first fellow to take a chance this morning got that and won the turkey. <laughs> Kind of taking all the element of luck out of it, you might say. So don't feel bad about gambling, daughter. You never had a chance anyway. <laughs> Why, 
by that antiquated old chip artist. Who does he think Oh, he is? that's all right, Mr. McGee. <laughs> Takes all kinds of people to make a world, you know. Yeah, and that kind ought to go somewhere else and make one of their own. <laughs> Must you be rushing off so soon, Mr. Mayor? Uh, yes, Mrs. McGee, I have an appointment with a Miss Meach, a knitting expert. Oh, <laughs> you've taken lessons, Latrivia? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, she's making an ash can for an aunt of mine for Christmas. Go on, how can anybody knit an ash can? <laughs> now, he said afghan, McGee. Huh? Afghan. It's a kind of a muffler for your hips. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very good, Mrs. McGee. That's very good. Yeah, <laughs> but as I say, I have an appointment, so I'll just be... Uh, by the way, do you know where Miss Meach lives? It's in the neighborhood. Meach? Meach? Never heard of her, Latrivia. Never I. Oh, dear. Well, uh, may I see your telephone book a moment? I'll look it up. It's uh, right there under the hall table, Mr. Oh, Miller. thank you. Thank you so much. Let me see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Molly, ain't he ever going to get out of here? What can we do? We can't very well take him by the nap of the neck and throw him down the front steps, can we? Maybe not, but you're putting some awful evil thoughts in my curly little head. <laughs> Personally, I'd well, like Well, to... I found it. Thank you very much, and good night. Well, uh, good night, Jeff Trivial. Good night, and next time you're out this way... Yeah, I'll get my... McGee's residence? Yes, uh, huh? Oh, is that you, Murd? <laughs> yeah, the mayor's right here. It's for you, Your Honor. Oh, good thing I stayed a few seconds. How's every little thing, Murd? Here's, eh? What's eh, Murd? Your grandmother. Plastered again, eh? Oh, McGee, what on earth happened? Murd's grandmother got pleurisy again. <laughs> They got her plastered from here, clear on to here. <laughs> What's say, Mert? Oh. Oh, yes, the mayor's right here. Okay, I'll tell him, Mert. Goodbye. Uh, who was it, McGee? Your secretary called. Says to remind you that you're laying the cornerstone for the new roundhouse tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I, uh, I completely forgot about that. Well, thank you. Well, I'd better be running along now. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, uh, goodbye Trev. Uh, come in again sometime. Oh, thank you, I will. I'll be past here again next week in connection with paving the alley back of your house. Oh, yes, it's in terrible shape now. Oh. You can even see big holes in it from our kitchen window. No. Oh, sure you can. I look My goodness, street. I never really... Oh. Do you mind if I look? Why, uh, well, uh, no, not at all, Mr. Mayor. Right this way and through the hall here. Oh, well, that guy here. I know one way to get rid of a guy like that, but somebody's sure to find the body. <laughs> Martha Tilton sings My Silent Love. I reach for you like I'd reach for a star, worshiping you from afar, living with my silent love. I'm like a flame dying out in the Love. 
simply must be getting downtown, Mrs. McGee. I'm afraid I've overstayed my visit a trifle. I feel like the man who came to dinner. <laughs> yeah, he broke his leg on the way out, didn't he? Here, let me help you down the steps, for trivia. Uh, no, 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 never mind. I can make it. Uh, good night, Mrs. McGee. Good night again. Uh, good night, old man. Anytime you're down at the city hall, I hope... What's the matter? Is there no hope down at the city hall? <laughs> You have a visitor, Mrs. McGee. A lady is coming up the walk. Ladies coming up? No. Oh. Uh-oh. It's Mrs. Uppington. Mrs. Uh, Uppington? Yes, you remember. She's one of our social leaders. Yes. With a family tree that would make a giant redwood look like a sapling. <laughs> and not a good-looking limb on the whole... McGee. <laughs> oh, hi, Uppy. Uh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mrs. McGee. Hello, Abigail. Nice to see you again, Mrs. Uppington. Uh, I saw your automobile out in front, Your Honor, and thought I might speak to you for a moment. Am I uh, interrupting? Oh, oh, no, no. The mayor was just leaving, Uppy. <laughs> Three hours later, and you probably would have missed him. Not that we would like to have him spend the rest of the evening with us, what there is of it. <laughs> what was it you wished to consult me about, Mrs. Uppington? Your Honor... The ladies' club, of which I am temporarily chairwoman... Here, woman, have a chair. Temporarily. (laughs) Don't you know, our club, Your Honor, has passed a resolution demanding that the city council supply heated water for the horse trough on the east side of City Hall Square. We consider it cruel and inhuman to let those poor animals drink half-frozen water all winter. (laughs) That's a great idea, Uppy. I think they ought to have a box of Kleenex there, too. <laughs> so they can wipe their faces. Mm. Ever notice how they kind of drip all over their puss after they have McGee? <laughs> McGee, Mrs. Uppington is serious. How can you tell? By the way, she sticks out her chin. <laughs> Which one? The top one? Now, please. I am serious. Well, Mr. Mayor? Uh, Mrs. Uppington, my compliments to the ladies of your club, whose admirable sentiments do them credit. Please inform them for me that this matter has already been presented to the City Council, and action was deferred indefinitely for the excellent reason that Wistful Vista is not only not a one-horse town, it is a no-horse town. Well, looks like your campaign had whinnied right in your face, Abigail. (laughs) Why don't you girls get busy and knit some silencers for our manhole covers? I bitterly resent your derisive attitude. It is a situation which demands immediate action. But, madam, in a community which lacks horses, ah, I think... Ah, but we have foreseen that difficulty, Mr. Mayor, and have collected the sum of $87 toward the purchase of a horse. <laughs> Here, take it. Oh, and now perhaps we girls can sleep at night knowing that the poor frozen animal, when we get it, can drink his fill of nice warm water. Oh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> Determined sort of person, isn't she? Oh, she means well, Mr. Mayor. Just a little misguided. You know, last spring she wanted to go around and pick up all the baby robins and give them flying lessons? (laughs) Yeah, she even bought time on the radio and called it We the Peep. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, I remember it. Laid an egg. (laughs) 
Oh, well, I simply must be trotting along. Thank you for a very pleasant visit. Oh, not at all, the trivia. Glad you dropped in. Well, so long. Goodbye, Mr. Mayor. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye Mayor. Oh, oh, hello, Fibber. Oh, hello, Mr. Mayor. Don't hello. delay the Mayor, Wilcox. He's anxious to be on his way. Yes, we're nearly desperate. I mean, uh, the Mayor has desperately been trying to leave for an hour now, haven't you, Your Honor? Indeed, I have, Mrs. McGee, but I'm glad Mr. Wilcox dropped in. I did wish to see him. <sighs> well, we might as well go back into the living room, folks. <laughs> I've been leaning against this jam so long I can hardly hold my raspberries. Uh, what did you want to see me about, Mr. Mayor? That parking ticket I asked you to fix for me a couple of days ago? That's exactly what I mean, Mr. Wilcox. Well, now, look. The circumstances of the case... The circumstances have nothing whatsoever to do with it. I wish to state categorically. Oh, I... categorically, my cat. Pipe down a minute and let me explain. Why, Mr. Wilcox, is that any way to talk to the mayor? Why not, Molly? I bawled a cop out once. You did? I surely did. I never raised my voice while I was doing it, too, either. And a good thing, because if he'd have heard me, I'd have got 90 days in the pokey. <laughs> What's your excuse, Wilcox? Well, look, I got a rush call from a Mrs. Harrison. Yeah. She'd only been married a week, and she was all upset, practically crying. Her husband was bringing some friends home from the office. And her kitchen linoleum was a mess. Dull and lifeless. Faded colors. Dry and patchy looking. She was so ashamed of it, she was almost in tears. Nevertheless, parking next to a fire plug, Mr. Wilcox, is not... It was the only place to park. This was an emergency. I dashed out there with a can of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. <laughs> For these rescue parties, you ought to carry a little barrel of it around your neck like a St. Bernard. <laughs> Quiet, dearie. I want to hear about the little bride. Well, that's about all. I demonstrated to her how quickly Johnson's glow coat would bring out the beauty of the pattern in her linoleum. Yes. How it would restore the luster and brilliance and make it so much easier to keep her kitchen clean and sparkling. And with absolutely no rubbing or buffing. Why, it saved the day for her. So you see, Your Honor, you can't let a measly little parking violation stand against the possible breaking up of a home... The wreck of a happy marriage simply because... I'm sorry, Wilcox. I didn't understand the circumstances. You may forget the matter on one condition. I know. That I be more careful in the future. No. That you dash out and show my housekeeper about glow coat. My linoleum has got more cracks than the first five minutes of Bob Hope. I'll do it right away. So long, folks. <laughs> Ah, that Wilcox is a great guy, Latrivia. <laughs> He's going places. How about you? <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. What am I thinking of? Excuse me for procrastinating my departure. Here, here's your briefcase, Mr. Bay. Oh, thank you. And may I say that... Here's your hat. Uh, thank you. And I wish to express Drop my... Drop in again any time you're out this way, Mr. Mayor. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye, and I only hope... Oh, not a bit of an old man, not a bit of it. So long now. Glad you dropped in. <laughs> Things kind of get dull around here around midnight. Uh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> Kind of dry, too. Uh, yes, yes. I'm pretty dry myself. And may I trouble you for a glass of water before I leave? <laughs> Why, of course, Your Honor. Just step out into the kitchen here and... Uh... Oh, that... Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. If that guy takes any longer to pull his freight, he's going to hear it from the Interstate Commerce Commission. <laughs> All that dead... Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. Look, beat it and come back some other time, will you? Why? Uh, we got a visitor who we've been trying to get... Trying to get him out of here for two hours. I don't want you delaying him, too. I know. I know. It's Marilla Trivia, I bet you. How'd you know? I saw his car outside. Oh. Gee, it's a, it's a snarky one, too. It's a super-duper. Hey, now. Easy on the slang, sis. You see what it did to me. <laughs> Why? Well, the use of slang indicates the possession of an inadequate vocabulary. 
If you can't express yourself in legitimate English, you're sticking your neck out for some slug to tag you as a chumpo. See? <laughs> hmm? I say... My teacher says I'm dandy in English, I bet you. Oh, she does, eh? Hmm? I said she does. That's what? Your teacher says you're dandy in English. She does, she? Ted Reddit, you just said she did. My teacher says I'm a dandy on colloquialisms, mister. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I mean, how are you on colloquialisms? Oh, uh, oh well, I, I... I never went in much for athletics. I bet you don't even know what a colloquialism is, I bet you. Go on, everybody knows that. I'll bet you don't. I do, too. Oh, Yeah. Well, then, what is a colloquial and alcohol, or uh, what? What is well, it? Well, Webster says the standards of English pronunciation, so far as the standard may be said to exist, mm-hmm. is the usage that now prevails among educated and cultured people. Yeah. Though we must frankly admit the fact that at present uniformity of pronunciation is not to be found throughout the English-speaking world. What's male or trivia doing here? <laughs> How did Webster ever hear about Mayor Latrivia? Hmm? Look, sis, please beat it. As it is, the mayor is sticking around here like honey on a hotcake. Like what? Like honey on a... I'm hungry. <laughs> well, here's a quarter. Go get yourself a soda. Goodbye. I'm... <laughs> oh. Ain't enough that we got a guest that's allergic to doorknobs. I gotta be pestered. Well, McGee, the mayor's going now. Uh, oh. Yes, Mr. McGee, and thank you for all your trouble. Oh, think nothing of it, Latrivia. <laughs> I'm gonna miss you around here. <laughs> but if I do, I'll take another throw. <laughs> <laughs> now, McGee, you know he's just kidding you, aren't Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> yes. Quite a well, touch. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's nice to have seen you. Mm. You needn't show me the door, Mrs. McGee. I know the way. All right, Mr. Mayor. Oh, no, 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 nothing there. Not that door, Latrivia. Why isn't this the front door? No! Gotta straighten out that closet one of these days. Come on, the trivia, we got work to do. The King's Men sing. Thirty more shopping days till Christmas, still have lots of time. I've decided to skip this year, I won't spend the dime. Tick tock, tick tock, tick. Only thirty more shopping days till Christmas, gee, that's not so long. I'm sending out cards this year, then I can't go wrong. I'll have to buy one little present for Aunt Minnie. That can wait a while. I'll sign to choose what I got to lose. Still got 20 more shopping days till Christmas. Gee, but it's a bore. Let's see, 20? Well, that's not bad. Still got plenty more. Take your time, take your time. What's the rush about? Stop that hurry and stop that worry and hurry and worry is out. All you gotta do is make a list, decide upon the price to pay. All the dinner and the bother and the lather and the pother will be done before Christmas Day. Trust me, I'll be ready then. Golly, Mr. Dooley, there's that man again. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Only five more shopping days till Christmas. Better go buy a tree. Must get Mama that new fur coat. She'll be mad at me. 
tick tock, tick tock, tick. Only three more shopping days till Christmas. Lots of things to buy. Should have started it weeks ago. How the time does fly. Almost forgot to get that streamlined train for Junior. Where's my shopping list? Molly and Tony and Michael and Fred. A dolly, a pony, a cycle, a sled. Hear me calling Santa Claus. I need your help because there's only two little shopping days till Christmas. Now it's almost here. That old feeling gets in your eye. Comes a stealing up here inside. Now I'm sorry that Christmas tide comes but once a year. A Merry Christmas and a Happy Okay, Latrivia, you can put your coat back on now. <laughs> That's everything. You know, I really don't think you should have made the mayor put all those things back in the closet, McGee. Oh, it's quite all right, Mrs. McGee. But what puzzles me is, how on earth can you get all that junk into that steep, uh, 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 horrible little two-by-four hole in the wall? Well, it's just an accumulation of little treasures, Mr. Mayor. Sort of a domestic Fort Knox. <laughs> Yeah, it saves time, too. When I come downstairs at night looking for burglars, I know darn well they ain't in there. <laughs> so I get in there. <laughs> well, you've you got to be gone, the trivia? <laughs> yes, yes, and believe me, I'm... Uh, I'm truly sorry if I've discommoded you. My departure has been... Some... Has been postponed again, I'll bet a cookie. Come in. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple. You met Mayor Latrivia, Wimp? Oh, yes, yes. Mr. Wimple wrote a poem in honor of my inauguration as mayor. Oh. Didn't you, Mr. Wimple? Indeed I did, Your Honor. Two verses and 27 choruses. I called it our old gray mayor. He's just what he used to be. <laughs> Sweetie Face, my wife, always says... Incidentally, how is the little woman, Wimple? The, uh, what, Your Honor? Uh, the little woman. <laughs> You're really not much on dimensions, are you, Mr. Mayor? I'm afraid little is a bad description, Your Honor. No, Mrs. Whipple is what we refer to as an Amazon, Trivial. Amazon? Uh, river? Yeah. She's long and wide and with a big mouth. <laughs> Slow moving but dangerous, and you cross her at your own risk. Now, Mr. McGee, that's hardly fair to Sweetie Faith. Well... She's really a charming person, really. You should see her sitting in the window of an evening, cuddling her pets in her lap. Oh, what are her pets, Wimple? Well, she has one leopard and one pygmy elephant. <laughs> Once she had a kangaroo that she used to box with, but not anymore. Well, what happened to it, Mr. Wimple? Oh, it got a cauliflower tail and went back to Australia. <laughs> Was there something we could do for you, Mr. Wimple? No, Mrs. McGee. I just stopped in to pass the time of day. It's 9.45. Good night. <laughs> ah, his wife must be quite a female. <laughs> <laughs> that, Mr. Mayor, is the understatement of the week. <laughs> she is to ordinary femininity what Kelowna's mustache is to the fuzz on a peach. <laughs> Well, it's certainly been pleasant meeting all your friends, but all good things must come to an end, you know. Yes, that's what the hickory switch said when it was carried into the woodshed. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's your hat and briefcase again, Your Honor. Uh, thank you, and uh, good night. You better get going, Latrivia. It sounds like rain. <laughs> 
And let us know when you're going to drop by again, and we'll build on a guest room. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Oh, I'd better wait. It might be for me again. Why, certainly. Why should anybody be calling us here? <laughs> Answer it, McGee. Okay, if it's for you, Latrivia, shall I tell them you've left? Well, why should you tell them that? Oh, I don't know. I'm just a dreamer, I guess. <laughs> McGee's residence. Who? Yes, he's here, but unless it's important, I don't want to... What's say? Huh? Who? It is? Oh, my gosh. Hey, Latrivia, your secretary's calling. Says the city hall is flooded. Flooded? Oh, my goodness. Tell her I'll be right down. Hello. He'll be right down. Goodbye. Come on, Molly. Where? Well, let's go with him and see if we can... Yes, help. yes, yes. Do come. Oh, this is terrible. Come on. Come on. What is this, anyway? Oh, I don't now, Molly. Come on inside. That's it. Where's the fire? Oh, where's the... What's it? Uh, I don't understand this. Everything seems perfectly normal around here. Well, it does to me, too. McGee. Huh? I thought you said my secretary said the city hall was flooded. Yeah, but you didn't let me finish. She said it was flooded with phone calls wanting to know if you'd be back tonight. Well, heavenly day. Oh. McGee? McGee, was this just a trick to get me out? <laughs> ah, La Trivia. That's why you're such a wonderful mayor. <laughs> you catch on like a burr on a beagle. It takes more than brick and mortar and shingles to make a home. Yes, that's pretty obvious. It's a thing every woman knows, especially if she's got children. You know, it's pretty important for children to like their home, to be proud of it, and want to bring their friends there. How do smart women go about making their homes attractive? Not necessarily by spending a lot of money. No, you achieve that home-like quality by all the little things you do. The good taste you show in arranging your things. By adding the beauty and protection that wax polish offers with genuine Johnson's Wax. The rich beauty that comes with regular application of Johnson's Wax to your floors, furniture, and woodwork is impossible to obtain in any other way. It costs little, it saves much, both in wear and tear and in actual housework. Women who know call it protective housekeeping. And to play safe, they always buy the genuine Johnson's Wax, paste, cream, or liquid. Hey, Molly. Yes, dearie? What were we doing when Latrivia moved in on us? <laughs> Planning our Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah, Thanksgiving dinner. Did you get a big plump gobbler? Twenty years ago, and this year he's going to eat chicken. Huh? <laughs> Good night. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. And may we urge you once more to join the Red Cross. Put your heart in their work. Good night. What product does two things at once? It's Johnson's Car New, the modern auto polish that both cleans and wax polishes in one application. It used to take hard work and cost real money to do these two jobs, but with Car New, you can do them in half the time. Polishing is a good start on your car, so why not get a can of Johnson's Car New this week? This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company.